This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, if you've been wondering what's happening with Right From The Deep, well, um, in my part of the world, in Oregon, we've been dealing with forest fires after forest fires after forest fires. The good news is that our air quality is down from 537, which is worse than had been possible before. The air quality um, index only went to 500, so it's reached new highs, which actually equal depths. <laughs> it's a very confusing index. But we're down into the anywhere from 38, 39 up to the 70s. Although today it's back up to 150 some because we're getting uh, quite a lot of smoke from the California fires. But those fires that were surrounding us on all sides are either all contained or they're out. So we are still on level one evacuation orders, but we actually unpacked some things today, Yay. including my computer to do this podcast. So things are going the right way, but two entire cities have been destroyed and they figure that there are around 6,000 people who've been displaced, who've lost everything. Wow. So please be in prayer. And that's just in our part of Oregon. Then there's all the way up I-5 to Portland. Um, there have been fires and people losing their homes. So please be in prayer for those of us in the Northwest. Right. And thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon, especially now, guys, more than ever. We're so thankful for you. You help make this show possible. And a special thanks to our October sponsor of the month, Bobby Eptograph. Bobby has been a longtime supporter of another ministry called Friends of Renouncer, an ecumenical support network for a home for abused, orphaned, and abandoned children in Honduras. It's a ministry of presence, praying, visiting, listening, encouraging, and helping financially. You can find out more about them at Friends of Renouncer. That's friends of R E N A C E R dot com. And now, here's, here's the, the show. show. Well, hello, friends. Welcome into the deep with us today. We have a lot to share with you, and we look forward to doing that. As many of you know, the Northwest, from California all the way up to Washington, is being inundated with wildfires, some caused by Lightning storms, lightning strikes, some caused by arsonists. There were over 100 fires set by arsonists up in Portland, Oregon. Oof. And we know of at least three people down here in our area who set fires. I've been looking at the pictures online of two communities just south of us, within 10 miles of us, one of them within seven miles of us. And it's like a nuclear bomb went off. There's nothing left but ashes and it it just it astounds me and and leaves me just wondering how those people who've lost everything how do they even begin to start over they have 
themselves. They have their lives, and that's a lot. But everything else is just gone. Every time Don and I go to the grocery store or every time Don goes to the garden supply store, he's hearing stories from people who either lost it all or who have family members who lost it all and even people whose family members are still missing and so I just started wondering, what do you do after that kind of devastation? Right. And, you know, we see this happening right now, of course, but it's been happening all through history, right? In 1900, there was a tropical cyclone that hit Galveston, and it left between 8,000 and 12,000 people dead. And Galveston, they rebuilt. And its beaches now, today, they're one of the most desirable vacation spots in the U.S. today. So that's that, that happened, and then it comes back. And then in 1931, floods devastated China, leaving 4 million dead. And then those left behind rebuilt and recovered. In 1951, a flood in Manchuria left 4,800 dead and thousands more displaced. And you all remember all too well September 11, 2001, when the most deadly terrorist attack in history left 2,977 Americans dead, including hundreds of firefighters and policemen and emergency personnel. But New York rebuilt. And then in November 2019, the coronavirus hit, devastating so much of our world in our own country, over 200,000 dead, damaging our economy, so much more. And then came the death of George Floyd and the ensuing rioting and looting and murders. And guys, the hits just keep coming, like the wildfires we've been talking about. And, and we're just reeling and we're wondering so many things. And, you know, things like, why did my house survive when so many others' homes are nothing but ashes? Or how can I go forward when I don't have anything left? Or what has happened to my country? Or right. even just, what do we do now? Well, as I was thinking about all this over the weekend and just struggling with it, um, what I did was I went to God's Word, and I found amazing solace in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. 
Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Hmm. Now, the word wait there, guys, it, it isn't just sit on your hands and wait for God to do something with it all. You know, the sense <laughs> of this wait for the Lord, which is the last verse there of the psalm, the sense is to expect, to await, to hope in or hope for. There's even like an eagerness implied. God is our hope and he will be working on our behalf. So as I was thinking about what to share with you in this podcast today, that verse sent me looking for something else, stories of people who have come back from devastation. So here are a few of the stories that I found. My prayer is that they'll encourage and bless you in whatever you are facing today. Um, the first story we have is about Frederick Douglass, and he was born in Maryland, where it was the custom to take children born in slavery away from their mothers. So Frederick was separated from his mother at a very early age, but when he was 12, his master's wife started teaching him. And um, it, it was going on until the master made it clear it was not to continue. <laughs> but undaunted, Frederick learned to read and write in secret, but then he was bought by yet another master, so he started teaching slaves from his and from other plantations. But then his activities were discovered, and he was severely beaten. But finally, he was able to escape the plantation, and he started attending abolitionist meetings. And before long, he's giving speeches that moves and changes the hearts of the listeners. And his speeches were powerful, and they drew huge crowds, and they helped to end the practice of slavery. And in one of his writings, Frederick Douglass had this to say about facing devastation. It is not light that we need, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. Hmm. Jean-Dominique Bobby, isn't that a great name, was the editor of the acclaimed French L magazine. He was known for being charming and flamboyant until December 1995 when a massive stroke left him deep in a coma. When he awoke, 20 days later, he was fully aware, fully himself, but the only thing he could move was his left eyelid. Wow. He had what the doctors called locked-in syndrome. His brain was fine, fully functioning, but his body was completely incapacitated, except for that one eyebrow. But Bobby refused to give up. He ended up communicating by blinking his eye for the number of a letter in the alphabet. So one blink meant A, two meant oh B, gosh. and so on. <laughs> That's a lot of blinking for just That's one word. That's a lot word. of blinking. And, you know, eventually he was not only able to communicate with his family, but he dictated an entire book about his life and the experience of being trapped in his own body. And his book, which was published, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, was made into an award-winning movie. I actually watched that movie one day, purely by chance. I was channel surfing, and I came in at the very beginning of it. And I got to tell you, I wept and I cheered as I watched that movie. It was so amazing and so inspiring. He lost everything, but it didn't stop him. Right. That's, um, that kind of reminds me of um, Proverbs in um, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. It says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. 
Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Yeah, that's really good. And you know, the thing that I like most about it is it's not saying we won't see devastation, that we won't have to experience disaster. But what it's promising us is that we won't face it on our own. God is at our side and will keep us safe. He will keep us from getting snared in anger and despair in a spirit of bitterness and futility. His promises in the light will stand solid in the darkness. All we have to do is hold fast to him in his truth. I love that. And let's just do that again. His promises, guys, in the light will stand solid in the darkness because we're going to have dark. Just don't forget that his promises in the light are still there. Let's talk about Wilma Rudolph now. She had a lot to overcome. She's one of my favorite stories. Before she was four years old, okay, she had double pneumonia, scarlet fever, and then at four, polio leaves her with infantile paralysis. So this poor little girl has to wear a brace on her left leg, but even at such a young age, she refuses to be defeated, and she learns to walk normally again. And then she's in high school. That's when she competes in the 1956 Summer Olympics. Olympic Games, and she gets a bronze medal in the 400-meter relay. But four years later, at the 1960 Olympics, she becomes the first American woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympics. And then when asked how it felt to win like that, Wilma said this, winning is great, sure, but if you are really going to do something in life, the secret is learning how to lose. Nobody goes undefeated all the time. If you can pick up after a crushing defeat and go on to win again, you are going to be a champion someday. I love that. I do too. And it's it's so appropriate for those of us who are believers. If we don't let the darkness, if we don't let disaster stop us, if we trust in God and move forward in his promises, we can be his champions like Colonel Sanders, you know, the guy who started Kentucky Fried Chicken. He lost his father when he was only six years old, and his mom had to go to work, so he ended up being the one who cooked and looked after his siblings. His life seemed to follow a normal path. He got jobs, he lost jobs, he got married, and they had children. But then his son died of infected Mm -hmm. tonsils, followed quickly by Sanders losing his job again followed not long after by his wife leaving him. When Sanders was 40, he was running a service station in Kentucky and selling his fried chicken. It was so popular, he thought it would last. But when he was 65, Sanders had to sell his business, and all he had left was his savings and $105 per month from Social Security. Ouch. Now, lots of people would have given up. You know, what's the point after you've lost everything? Why even try to come back? But Harlan Sanders tried. He borrowed money and sold his chicken door to door. (laughs) I'm trying to 
I'm trying to picture that. <laughs> but it worked. Eventually, in 1959, he opened a new restaurant, KFC, and the company took off. And in 1962, Colonel Sanders sold that for $2 million. And then when asked about his success after so many obstacles, he replied, I only had two rules. Do all you can and do it the best you can. It's the only way you get that feeling of accomplishing something. You know, Colonel Sanders was actually raised in the same church tradition denomination that I was, which was Advent Christian. No, not Seventh-day Adventist, just Advent Christian, typical Protestant denomination. So don't worry, guys, I wasn't raised in a cult. <laughs> anyway, because he was raised in that tradition, um, he would give money every year to Advent Christian pastor's kids to go to college. Well, I was one of the recipients of the money that he was giving. So he used to come. I was one of the recipients, and there was a missionary's daughter in our denomination who came to my same college. So we each got money from him to go to college. And he would come every year to meet with us and see how we were doing and to have dinner in the college cafeteria. And I kid you not, <laughs> every single time he came for dinner, guess what they served him? Oh, please. Fried chicken. chicken fried <laughs> chicken. It doesn't seem right. Probably. I asked him once, would you like a steak? And he said, no, chicken is fine. He was, he was the sweetest man, just so gentle. And to think that he'd gone through everything that he had and that he'd still maintain that sweet, trusting spirit. He was somebody I really admired. Yeah. Our next story is from the Bible. It's one of my favorites when I think of hope in the face of devastation. And this is from Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophecy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophecy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. 
Amen. What an amazing story. What an amazing truth for us to hold on to. Our next story is about someone you all probably know is Francine Rivers and her book, Redeeming Love. When Francine became a believer, she had 14 novels published in the general market, romance novels with some pretty risque material in them. And so she didn't want to write about those anymore when she became a believer. And so she tried writing, but Everything that she put down on the page, she says, was total garbage. Her agent (laughs) even said to her there's no way she could sell anything of what Francine was writing. For three years, she tried to write and she couldn't. At first, she was angry about it. And then she moved into acceptance. And then she moved to a surrender. God took her down that path of not just turning to him and accepting him, but possibly never being able to write again. And this was all that she'd known for so many years. But she gave it up. She gave her career to God and said, if you don't ever want me to write again, I'm okay with that. Which to me is just amazing. And she was involved in a Bible study on Hosea. And suddenly it just struck her that this was the love she wanted to write about. This was the love story she wanted to tell. Now she was still writing for the general market. Bantam was her publisher. And she wrote Redeeming Love. And they didn't know what to do with it. it. It had so much about God in it, they just weren't sure. So they went ahead and published it, and it did okay, but it didn't do great. And after it was published, Francine decided to come over to the Christian market, and the book she brought to Tyndale, which is where I was working at the time, was A Voice in the Wind, the first book in the Mark of the Lion series. And that's where I enter her story. We worked together on all of her novels through Leota's Garden. And we tried to bring redeeming love to Tyndale, but Dr. Taylor just wasn't comfortable with the main focus of the story, that she had rewritten Hosea in Gold Rush, California, about a prostitute and the man that God sends to redeem her. So several years later, I went to Multnomah, and in talking with them, they were interested in talking to Francine. So she talked to Dr. Taylor first to get his approval, and when he gave it, she came and talked with us at Multnomah, and we bought the book. Francine redeemed it, taking out all the stuff that the general market publisher had wanted in it, and she calls it the Redeem version. And it was published in May 1997, and it has been on either the top 10 or the top 25 fiction bestseller list since the day it published. It sold over 3 million copies, it's been translated to 30 languages, and has been made into a major movie, which will release in 2021. It's just, it's... It's like, okay, if I never write again, I can accept that. Oh, here's a book, and it sells 3 million copies. (laughs) 3 million copies, that's amazing. Okay, and I love what Francine says in this quote, too. She says, love the Lord your God and love one another. Love one another as He loves. Love with strength and purpose and passion. And no matter what comes against you, don't weaken Stand against the darkness and love. That's the way back into Eden. That's the way back to life. Amen. You know, there are so many ways we as writers face devastation. Times like Francine experienced when she finally had to give up the idea of ever writing again. Times like our friend novelist Bonnie Leon is facing right now. Those fires here in Oregon destroyed so much of her property. She's put pictures on Facebook of their outbuildings, their truck and Jeep, their chicken coop. And yes, they lost all their hens. 
the forest around them, all reduced to ashes. And yet there in the middle of it all, in the middle of the ashes, their home is standing untouched. It just astonished me, such a blessing. And yet such a, a wonder where you think to yourself, why, why, why was I spared? Why was my house spared? Well, she wrote a beautiful blog about all the conflicting emotions she's been dealing with, from despair to hope, gratitude and guilt. And the link for that blog will be in our show notes. But many of us who share God's truth in writing face the unexpected devastations of health, of finances, of family, faith, even other natural disasters, earthquakes, all those things that we have no way of knowing that they're coming. And in those times, we may feel like we can't see God, that we can't even feel him when we wonder where he went and how he could have allowed this terrible thing into our lives. There are so many things to discourage and to leave us in despair and hopelessness, unable to create. If you're in a place like that, know that you're not alone. Many of us have been there. Many of us are there even now. And then there's God. He's at your side. He's walking with you every step of the way, meeting you in your deepest darkness and uplifting you. You're never alone. You are never alone. And you can embrace his promise in Isaiah 41 to those he loves and has called. This is from verses 10 through 13 and 17 through 20. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. These next verses mean so much to me as I look around at the places near us that have been leveled by these fires that are nothing but ashes. But God says, I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland and the fir and the cypress together so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. And even as he's doing that for us now and will continue doing that as we walk with him, let's all remember to keep our focus on God, on the Creator, and on his promises. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at rightfromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Mm-hmm.